And now listen to God's holy and inerrant word. The reading of God's word is taken from Isaiah 60, 1 through 5, and 15 through 22. You can follow along um, in your Bible in the pew. Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your, your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your hearts shall thrill and exalt, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, and instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall be righteous, they shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, it is time I will hasten it. In its time I will hasten it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for the voices of children that speak your praise. Um, We thank you for them reminding us of your love, and your love is indeed being reminded even now as we gather our gifts, tithes, and offerings, um, because we long to be a generous people even as you have been generous with us, and we ask that you would take these gifts and these ties and that you would use them in order that your kingdom would be revealed here and throughout the world in order that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, as we ourselves prepare to sit beneath your word this morning, our prayer is that this same gospel would be proclaimed to us, that we would be reminded this morning or even learn for the very first time That the good news of the gospel is for the broken. It is for the sinner. It is for those who have come to see the darkness of their own hearts and their sin. And in doing so, we are reminded that because of Jesus, we can be both at the same time far more broken than we could ever imagine, but also far more loved and far more accepted and far more secure than we could have ever dared dream possible. 
And so we pray that you would help us this morning to see this good news. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And our children, uh, ages 3 to 6, are dismissed to Children's Church. So you can make your way to the back and you'll be taken to Children's Church. Well, this morning we come to our second to last passage in our little series this summer that we've been doing through some passages in the latter part of Isaiah's book. And, um, and then we'll be headed elsewhere in the fall. But basically what we've been doing over the last several weeks, couple months, is we've been looking at Jesus in the book of Isaiah, which is, of course, totally appropriate because we believe that all of the Bible is about Jesus, that every page is really pointing us to Jesus. But in particular, it's appropriate to go to Isaiah because he is telling us about Jesus, the servant, whose, who, whose person and work are really the source of all our hope. And now, Isaiah 60 is, is an interesting passage because at first blush, you come to this passage and it almost appears that maybe Isaiah is talking about um, Israel being released from their captivity in Babylon. But, but very quickly, if you're paying attention, the, the promise here expands so quickly and becomes so large that we really understand that Isaiah, what he's seeing here and what we're talking about here is about one day someday when God himself will come and fully redeem the whole world. And running through this chapter is this metaphor or this theme of light. And we've been singing about it in, in our songs this morning, and we've been confessing our need for light in our confession. And it's all here, and it's all coming from this passage. Um, you know, there are a great many things in life that I think we, we very often take for granted. Um, and we spend very little energy in reflecting consciously about these things until we find ourselves in a, in a particular need. And, and what I mean is, when you're reading a book, um, you don't, you're not usually thinking about your eyes that are allowing you to read the pages and the words on, in that book, um, unless, you know, maybe you're reading an ophthalmology book, and then you might think about your eyes. But you don't think about your ears either. You don't think about your ears even as you're listening this morning until I bring it up like right now um, or, um, or until you have trouble hearing someone, right? You don't think about, you don't consciously reflect about how you use grammar and language all the time. Uh, it just happens naturally. The only time you really think about it is when you have to sit down and write something out or maybe you're learning a foreign language or something like that. Or you even think about the very mundane stuff of life, right? The, the moment I consciously reflect on our need as a family <laughs> to buy more toothpaste uh, or to restock on shaving cream or, um, or, or go to the store and buy some more toilet paper or, or the moment that I consciously reflect on the fact that there aren't any towels in the bathroom, um, those, those are the moments when it's when I go to brush my teeth and realize we're out of toothpaste. That's when I realize it, right? That's when I think about it. Or, or, or when I go to shave and there's no shaving cream, or I get out of the shower and I have to scream for somebody to bring me a towel, right? Um, maybe we're the only ones that do that. But, um, you know, I think, um, I think light is kind of like this, right? It's around us 
all the time. And by it, we see everything that there is, right? Um, But we very rarely reflect consciously upon it. That is, until you walk into a dark room and you can't see where you're going, right? Or when you hear a noise in the middle of the night that startles you awake, um, but you can't see because all the lights are off, and you're wondering what that noise was, right? And you send me to go find out what it was. Um, Or the absence of of light, you know, that has you disoriented in in some way and causing you to lose your bearings. But this morning, what I want to do is I want us to spend some time actually consciously reflecting on this metaphor of light in Isaiah 61, because we really are in desperate need of it, um, whether we realize it at this moment or not. And so here's what I want us to look at this morning, just three brief points the light that shatters the darkness, the light that beautifies, and the light that will last forever. Okay, so first, the light that shatters the darkness. The word sun, it doesn't show up in this passage until later on in the passage, but it's clear that this is the metaphor behind the writing at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 60, right? Um, And God is being compared there in those opening verses to the sun that that rises into the sun that shines, right, and shatters the darkness, even the thick darkness, as we read in Isaiah 60, and he chases it away, right? Immediately, this for, is forcing us to come to grips with a very unflattering truth about, about ourselves, um, as Isaiah is writing, because he is saying that this is humanity's condition, darkness, thick darkness, covers the peoples, right? That is the Bible's description of us, that our sin and our brokenness have left us captive in a disoriented, disorienting, present, and pressing darkness, right? And that, that's the metaphor there. But the good news of Isaiah chapter 60 is that God Himself, God Himself has come to deal with that darkness, to shatter that darkness, to dispel that darkness, right? And you think for a second about how light works. When you open your eyes and you're outside and you see trees or you look at some beautiful landscape of mountains or something like that, or even as you're looking at me and you're looking at my, my jacket that I'm wearing, right? You're not, the, what you are seeing and the way you are seeing, it's not because light is inherent in those things, right? The light is actually reflecting off of those things and then bouncing off your retina, which allows you to perceive form and color and shape and all those kind of things, right? It's like that C.S. Lewis quote that's on the front of your bulletin, that it's by the sun, it's by the light that we don't, we don't look at directly, right? But by it we see everything else, right? When God arises and shines upon us, He opens our eyes to see reality, to see what's really there, right? And in this first point, I just want to mention two brief things that God's light reveals to us, because these two things that I'm going to mention are absolutely essential to becoming a Christian, right? First, when God rises and shines upon you, He reveals your darkness, right? He opens your eyes to consciously reflect on your brokenness, on your sin. He opens your eyes to your blindness 
if I could put it like that. There's this fascinating story in Mark chapter 10 about this blind man. This blind man's name was Bartimaeus. And he was outside the city gates and he was begging for his, his food that day. And as the crowd was walking by, he heard murmurs that this Jesus person was in the crowd. And so he started to get excited. And he called out for Jesus, right? And finally in his desperation, Mark tells us that he threw off his cloak. And he jumped to his feet. And he went to find Jesus. And just for a second, picture what that must have looked like. Because he is blind, jumping to his feet and stumbling and tripping, and he's got his arms out in front of him, right? He's searching through the crowd to get to Jesus, right? And here's what's fascinating. When he finally made his way to Jesus, bumping and staggering on his way to Jesus, he shows up at Jesus' feet, and this is what Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? Which, I I think, man, that that might have hurt his feelings, right? Like he just stumbled his way through this crowd to get to him. Isn't it obvious what I need, right? But see, here's the thing. Jesus was making him conscious of his need. He was forcing him to reflect on his need at a deeper level, right? The blindness of his heart, right? That his life was in darkness. he was forcing him to see his own blindness, to open his eyes to this darkness. And I'm telling you, it's no different for us, right? When God arises and he shines upon you, you will begin to realize your blindness. You will begin to see your darkness, your helplessness, your hopelessness apart from him, your sin. But but here's the second thing that happens when God arises and shines upon you. He reveals that He is the source of light, right? That only He can restore your sight. That only He is the answer to your most desperate, pressing need. And some of you, I know, some of you are you're beginning to come to grips with this. And right now, you're worried, and you're afraid, and you're beginning to wonder, yeah, but can he do that for me? I've seen him do it in other people's lives, but I I don't know if he can do it for me. Because I'm beginning to come to grips with the reality of my brokenness and how deep it really is. I just want to say this to you very briefly. I don't know what the specifics are in your life and what you might be wrestling with this morning. But I can tell you that it doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter who you are. It only matters who he is. And he is the light come to shatter your darkness. Listen, as soon as we started talking about light this morning, some of you probably immediately made this connection to Jesus. Because of the many things that Jesus claimed, one of the most famous things he claimed was to be the light of the world. He did this in John chapter 8. He declared that he was, in fact, the light of the world. And so, I want to talk about this right now. The Jewish people, they celebrated 
what was called the, um, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it was a big deal. It was a big celebration. And the fest- all the festivities were just loaded with symbolism. And one of the things they did during these festivities was they would light this giant, huge candelabra. It was these four lamps that each held 65 liters of oil. Huge, right? And when they were lit, it was a gigantic flame. And the scholars will tell you that back in this time, when those candles were lit, they would illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem. They were so bright, and the flame was so big. And what it was symbolizing was this period in Israel's history when God showed up, and there was this visible manifestation of his glory, right? And they could see him, and by day he was like a cloud that was leading them through the wilderness. And by night, he was like a blazing fire leading them through the wilderness. And so they, they were celebrating that, and they were remembering that. But the, at the end of these festivities for the Jewish people, they would extinguish this giant, these giant lamps. And that was a particularly sad moment at the end of the festivities. And you know why that was? It was because that was a long time ago. And the glory cloud of God had left them. And they were reminded that he wasn't with them anymore like he was in the past. And all this is happening. And in John 8, we're told that Jesus, he was standing in the temple in the very place where these lamps were being extinguished at that moment. It was the end of the festivities. And that's the place, of all places, that he chose to make this declaration, I am the light of the world. And it couldn't have been any clearer. And that's why if you read that story in John chapter 8, John ends it by saying, but no one arrested. He said this, but no one had arrested arrested him because his time had not yet come. And see, John was saying, if you understand this, it was shocking that they didn't kill him on the spot. Because what he was claiming to be was the manifestation of God's glory. He was claiming to be God in the flesh. He was saying, I am the light that has come into the world to shatter the darkness. And so before we move on from this first point, I've got to ask you if God has risen and shown upon you. Because if he has, you will not just be aware of your sin generally. Yeah, yeah, everybody's a sinner. Nobody's perfect. But you will be aware of it specifically and personally that you are in darkness. And your only hope is in the light of the world, Jesus. Because only he can open your eyes to see him as Savior, the one who has come down to shatter your darkness and to show you the way things really are in this world. Okay, second, the light that beautifies. You see, verses 1 one through 2 really tell us about God being the light who has come down to shatter this darkness. But there's a change in verse 3 if you pay attention to it, right? It says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of of your glory. This this is the staggering promise. When you come to Jesus, the light, he is going to cause you. He is going to cause you to shine in beauty, to transform you, to change you, to make you beautiful, 
to make you radiant, as it says in verse 5. And we didn't read it earlier, but if you had your Bible open, you could look at verse 9 where it's talking about how the nations are going to be drawn to you and they'll come from afar because you're, they're drawn by your beauty. It says this, the answer to why the nations will come, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because He has made you beautiful. If we're paying attention to this, this is glorious good news. Because in our, in our most sober moments of conscious reflection, we look in the mirror at ourselves, and we want to change. We want to know that it, there's hope to be different, to be new, to grow, to become something. I mean, because we look at ourselves in our most sober moments, and we know that we're just a shadow of what we were meant to be. We know we, we were made to be different. And God says, if you come to Jesus the light, he will change you from the inside out. He will begin making you more and more beautiful. There's this story in the book of Exodus, and some of you may be familiar with, but it's in Exodus chapter 34. And Moses... You remember he had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and their slavery. And now Moses was on Mount Sinai and he was meeting with God while the people were assembled around the mountain. And that story tells you in Exodus chapter 34 that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining. Right? In fact, it tells us that his face was shining so brilliantly, so radiantly, like it says in this passage, that the people were afraid to get that close. Afraid to be close to that much beauty all in one place. And so he would put a veil over his face when he would speak uh, to the people so that they wouldn't be afraid. And, and see, Moses in that story, he was visibly, he had spent time with God on that mountain and his face was visibly reflecting God's glory, his beauty. You see, mirrors, they don't work in the dark, do they? Right? Mirrors, they only work when they're facing the light. That's how they work. They, they work by reflecting light back to you, right? The story of the Bible was that mankind was made in the image of God, made to reflect God. But when we turned away in our sin, the darkness came rushing in, and we lost our beauty. We were like mirrors turned away from the sun, no longer reflecting his beauty. But you see the hope of the story, even in Exodus chapter 34, right? That to turn back and to face the light, you can become beautiful again. He will make you beautiful again. Here's how this works. When you come, when you come face to face with ultimate beauty, you will begin reflecting that beauty in your life. And here is the ultimate beauty that the Bible tells us about. The God of heaven and earth so deeply loved you that His Son came into the world to die for you. In other words, as the author of Hebrews puts it, right, you were the joy that was set before him, that allowed him to endure the cross, scorning its shame. Our darkness was so deep, our darkness was so dark, it was so thick, that nothing less 
than God Himself dying for us could save us. But so deep and so great and so real was His love for you that He joyfully gave up His life for you. He did all of this. He did all of this without ever compromising either His righteousness or His grace. On the cross, His grace and His righteousness met and embraced. Holiness and love embraced there. And you know what happens when you turn and you face beauty like that? It begins to change you. When these truths begin to form you and shape you and give you your identity, I mean, you begin to become deeply humbled but also profoundly joyful. Deeply humbled and so confident at the same time. You begin to embrace loving sacrifice in your life for others because that is precisely how God came and loved you back to life. You begin to move out towards others with generosity and hospitality because in Jesus you met ultimate generosity and hospitality. His giving of His own Son for you and welcoming you into His family. You begin to change and you begin to move toward and work towards deeper faithfulness and integrity and justice for the oppressed. Because in Jesus you have come face to face with the ultimate beauty and expression of faithfulness integrity and justice. And I want to say this final thing before we move on to the last point. Um, Don't get lost in the future arc of this passage. And what I mean is that this passage is really, it is pushing us towards a future horizon, right? That day, that one day someday, when all of this beauty will be fully realized in us. But listen, Jesus, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, He called his followers to be the salt and light of the world, right? We are meant meant to reflect this beauty now. We are meant to live the attractive, beautiful, transformed life now. And I'm not suggesting that we can achieve all of this fully in this life, but I'm asking you in this point if you can see yourself changing and growing, and becoming, and moving in line with this arc, and with this trajectory. So you have to look at your life over the last year, the past couple of years, and ask yourself, are you becoming a more humble, more gentle, more patient, more generous, more hospitable, more joyful? Are you becoming a more kind kind of person? Right? Because if you can't see that in your life, it's because you haven't come face to face with the beauty that we've been describing. And the invitation of the gospel to you this morning is to come and see the beauty of a Savior who died for you. And if you do, it will begin changing you from the inside out. And by the way, the way to keep on growing and the way to keep on changing and becoming more and more beautiful is by doing what you're doing at this very moment. (laughs) Right, to come face to face, to keep on hearing, to keep on seeing, to keep on coming before this light that beautifies. And day to day to come to that light in prayer and to be face to face with Jesus and to come and meet Him in His Word regularly. And by spending time with other Christians as you talk about these very things, the light that beautifies, pushing one another to look to Jesus. If you find your life in Him, the promise of this passage is that you will find the light 
that beautifies and transforms you. Okay, the last thing, the light that lasts forever. And this is where the latter half of the passage takes us. And it's this glorious vision of the very best. Verse 17, instead of bronze, gold, instead of iron, silver, and so on, the nations, he says, are going to be gathered. And you can't get away from these words that keep coming back again and again in this latter part of this passage forever, from age to age, no more, everlasting, forever, days of mourning ended. It's all throughout the passage. And listen, I think this is what we're really longing for in this life. The light that will come and will last forever. Because in our experience, day in and day out, year in and year out, is that lights are constantly being extinguished and growing dim and fading and failing. Things tend, we know, things tend towards breakdown and decay in this life. I found that out as soon as I became a homeowner. I thought it was a dream. It was a nightmare because everything started breaking, right? It's the day I bought it and didn't have a landlord to call. Um, but, you know, you as well, your friends, your loved ones, our eyes grow dimmer and, fader, and are failing day after day, right? If you want to kill a party fast, you start talking about death. You know, it's the one great neutralizer for us all. Because it doesn't matter if you're black or if you're white or if you're Republican or you're Democrat or if you're rich or you're poor. It's coming for us all. And yet all of us all the time are trying to avoid it and numb ourselves to that reality, right? But God is here promising us a new day, a day that will last forever, a day when the light will never go out and never fade, a day when the darkness is fully and finally dispersed. Verse 18, when violence, it says, shall no more be heard. To turn on your TV and not hear of violence anymore. Of Charleston, South Carolina, or Chattanooga, or Memphis, or Afghanistan, or the disturbing reality, if you saw it, of the Planned Parenthood stuff that was floating around this past week. A day when there will be no more devastation or destruction. It is coming. That is the promise of this passage. Verse 20, when all our days of mourning will be over and finished and no more. In verse 19, when the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. See, this is the same exact stuff that the apostle John wrote about in the book of Revelation. Just listen to Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. It says this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. It says this, They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Listen, neither Isaiah or John, 
it's hard to think about. The, it, we're so removed from the culture sometimes of where these passages were written, but they weren't writing these things in a lab, right? They were writing in the very midst of harsh realities and deep, thick darkness. Isaiah was writing these words of hope to a group of people who had been physically carried off into captivity. They lost their homes and people died. They were broken. They saw and they tasted the bitter, thick darkness. They certainly saw their hopes and their dreams dashed. Their cities, their homes laid in ruin. John, he was writing to a group of Christians about to face the severest sufferings of persecution in the first century. Many lights were about to be snuffed out. And he was writing to this group of Christians who were about to be thrown to the wild beasts, right, in the Colosseums, and burned to death as human torches to light Nero's garden. They were cut off from friends and loved ones. Darkness, a darkness that is very familiar, if you're a Christian, to some of your brothers and sisters throughout the world today. In the Middle East, in China, these are words of real hope. There is a day coming when the darkness will be no more and the light will last forever. For the Lord our God will be our light. And there will be no more mourning or sadness or tears or death. And listen... It's good to be aware of how this promise was real hope for people then and people now facing these kinds of things. But I want us to see what we can do with this before we close for us. And if I could put it to you like this. If these words of hope of this coming day, if it helped them, don't you think it would help you? Right? Shouldn't this be of some help to you in the midst of the struggles you face in your career, in your work, within your family. I mean, shouldn't, and the losses you feel and face in your relationships that are severed, and shouldn't this give you courage then to love and forgive in the midst of the darkness? And shouldn't this give you humility and grace and integrity to speak the truth and love to one another? Shouldn't this make it okay for you to sacrifice for others. See, we have to learn how to put all of our struggles and all of our temptations and all of our hopes and all of our fears within the context of this view of forever. We do this because the sun rises upon you today and one day, someday, it will shine forever because of one very important thing, because darkness fell upon Jesus in your place. That's the story of the gospel. The thick darkness of the people fell into his heart upon the cross, and he was crushed, and his life was snuffed out for you to give you this hope of a light that will last forever. Listen to Matthew 27, verse 45. This is what it says about when Jesus was on the cross. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the great question. Because when you can answer that question, you will find ultimate beauty. Why was he forsaken? He was forsaken for you to shatter the darkness 
in your heart and mine and in this world. I love how C.S. Lewis, I, I quote him way too much, but I just read another book by him, and so, sorry. Uh, next couple of weeks are going to be rough. Um, but in, he said this about Jesus, that he went down to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world up with him. He went down to death for you, and darkness fell upon him. But he is risen. And one day, someday, he will raise the whole ruined world with him. And in that day, he will be the sun, and the darkness will be fully and finally shattered. And you and I, we will be beautiful, and that light will last forever. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Isaiah. We thank you for his prophecy. We thank you for the ways in which you inspired him to write about Jesus. And we thank you for the wonderful good news of the light who has come into the world. Father, our hope and our prayer is that you would take your word and that you would write it upon our hearts. That this would be our hope. That this would be the place where we get our identity. That this is the place where we would find deep assurance and love for our souls. To know that Jesus came into the world to shatter the darkness by taking the darkness on himself. To know that he came and lived a beautiful life. The only beautiful life in order that he would make us beautiful. To know that we have this promise, that in this life we can and we often do feel forsaken, but because of Jesus, we know that that's only a feeling. We can never be forsaken because he was forsaken in our place to give us the light that would last forever. Lift our eyes to see him and change us as we look at him. For it's in his name we pray, amen.